welcome to this Harmony and Health podcast on the gut instinct and gut and brain health. Um, my name is Julia Outlaw. I'm a member of the Harmony and Health team. We're a multidisciplinary team of experts looking at this concept of harmony and how it can contribute to health and well-being, bringing together ancient wisdom and modern disciplines. And today we're looking at, at the gut instinct. And when we think about harmony, we think about the mind, body and emotions and how they can all be in balance or more connected to each other. And it's interesting to think about gut instincts in that way. Do we trust our stomach? Where are our emotions? And I'm joined today by Dr. Hannah Poikinen, who's a member of the team. She's a neuroscientist and she's also a professional dancer and she runs Wise Motion which brings together those two disciplines to help people who've had uh, brain illnesses and she's an expert really in sort of learning and creativity and movement and embodied cognition. Welcome Hannah. Thank you Julia, pleasure to be here with you today. Good, so this gut instinct and stomach, it, I think um, it's very interesting when you think about a decision you have to make. And this is what came to my mind first when I thought about this topic. You know, do I want to do something or do I not? My head says yes. My tummy says no. Um, you know, do you follow your gut or you can't stomach something? There's something going on there. And I mean, neuroscience has a lot to say about it, I imagine. But I thought neuroscience was more about the brain. Um, but I guess things have evolved a bit more in understanding. Yeah, I could say that neuroscience also thought that it's about the brain until over the decades they start to notice that, well, actually the whole, the whole body and the brain are connected and they're interconnected, um, which in Asian philosophies and, and wellness practice has been known for centuries. But somehow in, let's say, Western philosophy, we went to this like dichotomical thinking that the mind and the body are separate and even thinking that the mind has a control over the body. And I usually call it mistake. So now <laughs> we're kind of like through neuroscience starting to recover this mistake. And we're really starting to understand that everything cannot be explained through this theory that the brain would have a control to our body but there really indeed there is a interaction uh, between the the brain and the body and gut really plays an important role in that connection yes so the brain the brain does control the body but also you're saying the body does it control the brain or yeah exactly so it really sends for example our guts or our, even our heart or our senses, they, they send messages to the brain and then kind of the, the brain is in a constant interaction with the environment and just a small fraction of that inf information goes into our consciousness. So there's also a lot of like kind of unconscious processes. And also since we can focus our attention to quite narrow pan, span at the time, um, yeah, it means kind of like the, the parts what we live without being paid attention to, they're also ongoing. So it's also kind of how we train where we pay our attention to. Is it to our internal sensations or to the external world? 
Interesting. So there's all these messages coming in and we may or may not notice them, but that might be a bit of what's going on when we get a sort of feeling perhaps in our gut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it might be easy to kind of ignore these feelings and even wishes what our body is sending to us, like I need healthy food, I need sleep, uh, I need to be alone for a while, I need to breathe calmly. But if we are very kind of attached to the external demands, we might ignore all these messages what, what our body is sending to us. Interesting. Maybe we come back to that and what we can sort of do about that. I'm interested again about how it's kind of evolved because in the past, I mean, ancient systems of medicine were much more holistic, I think it's fair to say, in how they viewed the human system. So the mind, the body and uh, the emotions and, you know, humoral medicine, looking at how your kind of state is in your body. And I was reading um, an article which said that a alchemist, actually a physician who was alive in the 17th century, Jean-Baptiste van Helmont was his name, and he was experimenting with flowers, and there was one that was particularly toxic, and he wrote that I felt that I did understand, conceive, and savour and imagine nothing in my head. Rather, I understood and imagined in my midriffs. So, like, he really got a sense of this gut feeling, Um, and of course... At the time, physicians sort of couldn't stomach it and didn't really believe him or agree with it. And it, it kind of went nowhere. And then, as you said, things evolved much more into this split between the mind and body. Um, but it's been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. If you look, for example, when the neuroscientific research started, let's say in the mid uh, 20th century, then it was very focused on the brain. So we kind of wanted to isolate the brain into the dark, silent laboratory. And then we thought that that's the ideal condition for these cognitive functions of the brain to function properly. And the, the participants has to be like alone, as still as possible in a dark room. And then kind of slowly we start to understand, oh, actually our emotions have something to do with our cognition. And then also we start to understand, well, actually the environment plays a big role. Are we in social interaction with other people? Are we maybe in movement, in certain kind of movement ourselves or not? So I think there is quite nice kind of evolvement in the neuroscience, starting from this like cognition, isolated cognition and coming more and more interactive with the environment, with our bodies, with with each other. Interesting. Yes, because there's so many factors, you know, I know that affect your emotions. And just thinking about that, you know, if you hear something sad, you quite often you can maybe feel, well, I know I lose my appetite or um, you don't feel hungry. And there's, you know, there's obvious links like that. But tell us about the other links, how the gut's connected. Yeah. Well, if you look at the gut, um, basically it's it's not kind of only about the gut physiology. But if we, for example, think about the vagus nerve, which is very important in regulating the, the digestive system, um, it, it, it and the whole gut uh, as in whole, uh, it, it's, they're involved also in the cardiovascular function, also the endocrine function. How are the hormones balanced? How are the hormones segregated? even the respiratory system, how 
do we breathe, how quickly, how slow, and also the immune reactions. So if we look at the gut and, for example, the vagus nerve uh, adjusting our gut functions, it's not only about the gut, it's, it's kind of about all, all these other simultaneous processes as well. You, so there are hormones in the gut? Yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, gut is our largest endocrine organ, which which means that it's our largest organ in the body, which segregates, um, well, more than 20 different kind of hormones. So we are talking about something very remarkable in, in that sense. Wow. So how does how does the gut know, decide which hormones to use? <laughs> well, well they, they, then that's, there is something called the gut-brain axis. So in that, the gut and the brain are in a constant interaction. And what they aim for is something called homeostasis. So be bringing the body into this kind of balance. Okay. Being it the blood sugar is in balance, uh, the HP of the body is in balance. Um, the yeah, like the, uh, sorry, the pH. And then so the mm -hmm. pH is in balance. And then also that kind of the ions being calcium, potassium, they're in balance. So kind of also in that sense, the body would sense us uh, certain cravings for food. What, what what does our body need right now? And also if it needs food or not. And also the hydration levels, or we feel thirsty, we, we our body needs to be more hydrated. So all these are in a close interaction between the brain and the body. And they're constantly sort of balancing and talking to each other. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think this also highlights that it's not that the brain decides. Also mm. the gut node is what kind of nutrients does the body need right now? So this is not something the brain decides. It's more that the gut sends the message to the brain and then the brain directs the action. Okay, uh, now I need to have a glass of water. I go and, and, and really have one and drink it. Mm, really that way around. It's so interesting. I've been talking about the gut and sort of digestion. I know macrobiotic health has become very sort of talked about on a microbiotic revolution and we all need to eat sauerkraut and I don't know I mean I know there's it's very interesting isn't it your gut microbes and what effect that can have uh, absolutely and I think this is the field uh, we are starting to understand more and more so I, I would say that there's still quite a gap in in the understanding um because for example we have we have noticed that let's say the good bacteria in the gut they really play a big role how our immune system works and we start to link them even to the neurodegenerative illnesses such as parkinson's disease uh, dementia and so forth um but we don't have this kind of fixed um let's say quantities or how can we measure the gut gut bacteria like for example if we check in the blood the iron levels we know how where it should be but for the gut bacteria we don't even know which factor there should be and on which levels so that's why it's kind of at the moment it's difficult to prescribe certain kind of kind of let's say gut bacteria or, or how define how they should be but we start to understand for sure it has a strong meaning to our health. So make sure I understand that. So that we know that it does have a big impact on how healthy we are generally, and that's even been linked to some brain diseases. Yeah, yeah. But we don't know really what kind of um, type of 
balance we need to have of the microbes in the tummy. We don't yeah. know those those levels. Exactly. And because there are so many different bacteria, bacteria. So I think that's that's difficult. And the other interesting aspect is that the gut, gut bacteria really has an, an influence to the depression and anxiety as well. So it's not only about this physical health, but also related to our mental health. How and then it, then? Yeah, so well, it, it can kind of create the vicious circle as well. Like if we feel like anxious and depressed, maybe we are not so eager to take care of us properly. Maybe we don't have energy to cook proper meals for us. And then kind of since we don't go into this proper cooking, it means that our body doesn't get enough of nutrition. What or this kind of nutrition, what we would need to make us also feel better emotionally. So there's those follow-on effects then sort of to get in a vicious cycle. But if you're say your micro has been upset by something, for example, antibiotics or mm-hmm. um, mm. then can that affect you mentally, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, most most likely. Most likely. So then um let's say if the gut bacteria balance is not optimal, that might create symptoms of of anxiety, for example, that the kind of the the sympathetic part of the autonomic nervous system is too active so which might be reflected as elevated heartbeat and sensitivity to stressors which maybe before were okay in your everyday life and then in this kind of sensitized state you might feel kind of exaggerated stress in uh in in situations which before were kind of part of normal life Mm, interesting so does that follow that you know you could kind of help that by eating differently yeah i really think so and and that's what this research is starting to show so really paying attention let's say the nutrient density density in the food so the food what you eat it really has a lot of micronutrients you eat a lot of leafy greens you eat a lot of different kind of vegetables uh you avoid let's say so so-called empty calories which might come from sugar or or white wheat and so forth so everything you eat you try to be as dense with with nutrition as as possible mm. so there's these different things and so we've got the hormones talking all the time and this kind of two-way communication going on balancing and then we've got the sort of environment in the gut um what else how is how is our gut related to our emotions or our perceptions So basically the gut and the brain, they're connected through two different pathways. So the other one is the hormonal one, what we were talking about. But then there is also this autonomic nervous system. So so the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system also transmits the messages. So they're kind of these hormones and, and nervous system, which are kind of guiding the connection of the gut and the brain. And it all kind of comes down to the... Uh, gut bacteria because they are kind of regulating which kind of nerve mm-hmm. impulses are sent and which kind of which kind of hormones are segregated. Interesting. So if we think about, for example, something happens or we we need to decide. You look, am I going to move house or not? And we maybe get sort of we've got all the reasons in our head. We've got the feeling. Um, in our stomach you know what's going on there 
That's a good question, and I don't know how much scientifically we could explain it by now, because on the other hand, sometimes uh, it might be that our emotional reactions are very strong in the moment, whereas it might be that our cognitive decisions still might be better for us in the long run. So then there's a kind of this like time span mismatch in a way as well. So there our emotions might might crave for something what makes us good in the moment, whereas this like rational aspect may, might be better in in the long run. Yes, I understand. So, but the gut feelings could be sort of more deeper or sort of instinct or. Yeah. I could imagine I could imagine so because also as we were talking about the, these hormones which are segregated in the gut that it's it's also telling to the brain what do, what does the body need maybe maybe we need more sunnier environment maybe we need healthier food maybe we need like uh, loving relationships maybe we need to sleep more um, so all these messages are also the ones which the body can can send us mm. if we are tuned in to listen to them so this is always the question as well and, and i think there are several practices how we can kind of tune in to listen to our our kind of bodily needs and bodily messages tell us about those then hannah that's interesting i know a lot of people you know meditate a bit or try some sort of embodied practice like yoga or qigong um, is yeah that, yeah know? that's yeah, and that would be the direction I would point to as well. So before now, we've been talking quite a lot about nutrition and how that influences to the gut bacteria and to the well-being, being physical and emotional. But that's not the only 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 topic. Of course, nutrition is very important, but so is let's say breathing methods, calming down the breath, which reduces the stress hormones, increases the feel-good hormones, and through that also the body aims towards the homeostasis what i mentioned before towards the balance and that's why i really like this concept of harmony in the gut and in the brain at the same time so breath and could be one way to reach towards that harmony another way could be call movements that's why i really like these asian methods like qigong tai chi uh, so forth where the movement is not too exhausting because now we have this tendency to really push ourselves in Arabic exercise or strength mm-hmm. training. That's maybe not ideal for us. It might be more ideal that we have this like calmer and in a way mindful moment combined with breath. Oh, really? Well, I'm so interested in that, obviously, in terms of chronic conditions and long COVID. And also, I think a lot of people at the moment just having survived lockdown or in the middle of lockdown and the conditions being so different and a lot of people's sleep has been disrupted. Mm. I'd say a lot of people's sort of um, maybe nutrition habits have been disrupted in their digestive system. Um, And is there things, you know, we can learn here about how to bring the brain and body a bit more into harmony and if it is breathing and gentle movement and really the impact of that, like you say, on the autonomic nervous system, you know, stress levels are so high, I would say. Yeah. in many people yeah. Yeah. and those interactions we often sort of see it as a separate issue you know someone's got anxiety or someone's got depression but how do all these things interrelate and how can we sort of intervene at different parts of the cycle to help ourselves yeah. and I, I really think that it's kind of like confusion in the several levels in life what is kind of like surprising and also extended 
um, restricted life life events and situations might create. So we have confusion emotionally, cognitively, with re social relationships with our environment and so forth. So I think what kind of helps to bring clarity in into confusion is find some kind of daily routine. So and I think once you start finding the daily routine, it's easier to implement healthy meals, healthy some kind of embodied practices healthy social interaction. So really you even starting to like kind of build in the structure of the day, like puzzle by puzzle. Okay, what is it, what I need to do? Okay, I need to work, I need to take care of children, I need to cook. Um, so somehow kind of thinking a little bit, okay, when do I do what? And also most important sleep. So mm -hmm. I go to sleep on a, at certain hour, I wake up at certain hour, now that I sleep all day long and then in the evening I'm not tired and then the cycle keeps going. Yeah, so it's almost self-care, like looking after yourself, scheduling in that, that time to yeah. address all the different angles. Yeah, yeah, and we deserve that. Like we deserve the best possible care for ourselves. <laughs> yes, and sometimes it's hard to give it to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So sometimes we are very demanding to ourselves. We think that we should be doing this and that and, and running from one place to another or with one task to another. But no, we, we need to care ourselves and really tune into this listening. What what do I need to feel good? And also, so in what... that, yeah, in that state, just as you were saying, you know, rushing around trying to get things done. In that case, I imagine then you're not so much in touch with your the messages from your gut. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, kind of I could say in the very many cases when they when one ends up falling ill it it's that before that there has been kind of extended time when they haven't been tuned to the needs of their body so there might be like prolonged lack of sleep there might be prolonged time of extensive stress there might be prolonged time of, of poor nutrition so then but it can, of course, cope with that for a short while. So we don't need to live in an ideal way every day, but we need to live in an ideal way, let's say, over the months or over the years. So the body is kind of wise in that sense as well, that if we don't take care of it, it kicks back. And it, it requires, then it requires the stress and it, it requires us to search for and remember what kind of habits were good for us. Yes, oh, that, that's a lovely way of putting it. So it, it's kind of, it's helping us really, our body all the time, telling us what it needs. But it's just a case of listening to it a bit more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then as, as you were asking, like, okay, through what kind of practices can you then learn that? So I really think that this kind of calmer movement uh, practices, they're an excellent way. Also kind of dance, yoga as well, meditation, qigong, tai chi. Something what you are driven to, and it doesn't necessarily even be with something where you give a label. It can be that you put on your favorite music and then you start gently to move with that. So it doesn't need to be like a certain kind of practice. You can create your own practice. It's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking about going outside as well, because that's my favorite thing is just to yeah. be with the trees, yeah. and the sky, and you feel more grounded and I think more in touch then with your what you really want perhaps yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I mean is that sort of scientifically explainable that you can restore your gut instinct by going outside 
Yeah, there they are some studies, very interesting studies. So, for example, how being in the nature, how it lowers your stress levels. And, and also kind of if they were comparing sports, which you did outside or inside, kind of uh, doing the sports outside, it had more health benefits. So the nature is really, and I think, well, it's very natural place for us to be, but then this can be also one aspect which we might get distanced in our busy lives. Yes. Yes. So if we lose touch with, with nature in a way, we can lose touch with our gut instinct, perhaps. Yeah. And I think all comes down to this certain kind of like calmer state of mind. Mm. So when we are in a calmer state of mind, which nature is ideal giving to us when we are outside and we feel the sun or our skin or we are listening to the the leaves moving in the wind or we're listening to the waves at the sea or at the lake that really puts puts us into this calmer state of mind and that's kind of if also if we talk from the neuroscientific point of view that activates those neural networks which are involved also in the introspection yes yes so we can learn to trust ourselves and be a bit more in touch with that yeah, exactly. So if we think of a way, so being in the nature, just stepping into the nature and, and being there a while, that can be like a great key to access these calmer states. Amazing, Hannah. It's such a fascinating area and it sounds like one where there's a lot of research going on at the moment um, and a lot more to be discovered, really. But trust your gut it seems yeah exactly i would also highlight this that what feels good for you most likely it is good for you so so science has a tendency to lag behind so so often if if we stay waiting for the scientific evidence we might stay waiting for quite a long time so (laughs) sometimes it's good to to learn to listen to ourselves and do that but it's but it's good for us Brilliant. Thank you. And finding our way back to harmony with all these different things we can try. Exactly. exactly. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. So interesting. And Thank you, Julia. You're welcome. We will be back with another podcast soon and look out for our courses um, for health professionals and also our long COVID um, support course. And thanks for listening. <laughs>